grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning. Good morning. This is God's morning. We are some of God's people. We are in a house that is dedicated to the worship and praise of God so that we might be strengthened and nourished to do God's work in the world. Let us be called to worship this God as we read responsively from the 147th Psalm. Praise the Lord. How good it is to sing praises to our God, for he is gracious and a song of praise is fitting. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. Friends, let us worship God. Easter people, we are followers of the one who was raised from the prison of death so that we might live free. So let us come to confession as free people, surrendering to the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. 
Let's go to God in confession together. Almighty God, through the rising of your Son from the grave, you broke the power of death and condemned death itself to die. As we celebrate this great triumph, may we also make it the model for our lives. By your grace, help us identify all in our lives that should rightly be tired. Habits, fruitless longings, and destructive desires. Forgive us and resurrect in us faith, hope, and love. As surely as you raised Jesus Christ from the grave, remake us according to your image and restore us to be faithful and fruitful disciples. In the powerful name of the risen Christ, we pray. Amen. He is risen. Christ is risen. And in his name, I declare to you, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. Christ be with you. And, and as we prepare to greet one another, let's remember that our fifth grade and younger are excused to their Sunday school classes, as well as our sixth grade and up are excused to go to the youth group if they haven't already done that. So let's turn and greet one another this morning. Peace of Christ. Yep, so far. Peace of Christ be with you. <laughs> Peace of Christ be with you. <laughs> Peace of Christ, Leslie. Peace of Christ be with you. Peace of Christ. Peace of Christ, Jan. We'll take just a moment in our worship to speak of things that are happening outside the life of our worship service, but that are also part of the larger worship and service of our congregation. The week of June 19th is our vacation Bible school for our younger disciples. If you have someone in your extended family or your neighborhood who you think would benefit from that exciting week-long experience, we'd encourage you to check in with our uh, children's ministry leaders and get them registered for that. We would also encourage you, if you yourself benefited from Vacation Bible School years ago, or better yet, you could have and should have but didn't. We need volunteers to help. We got someone from the first service. Let's get some from this service. So also check in with uh, Michelle and our other uh, Christian ed leaders. That's the week of June 19th. 
Today, our youth ministry folks are starting another service opportunity, and they're inviting us to participate with them in that. They're going to give a baby shower down at New Day Ministries, and so for the next three Sundays, they will be collecting all kinds of things that you need to have when you have a baby. So you know what those things are, but there's also a list on the church website. Mind you, we are not collecting babies themselves, only the things for babies. So please bring them to the church. Our women will have their annual spring luncheon to celebrate another wonderful year of ministry. That's this coming Wednesday at 11.30. We'd love to have all the women of the church and Rancho Santa Fe and North County and San Diego that might be too many, but you know for the idea. So sign up at the table out on the patio. Our choir, at least that portion of the choir, most of it, that's going to Ireland in a few weeks to share their musical abilities and the gospel with folks in Ireland, that choir is going to be doing a benefit kickoff concert two weeks from today on May 21st at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. There'll be lots of gospel music, lots of Irish music, lots of great music, so plan to be here and celebrate with them. Following this service, giving about five or ten minutes or so for folks to leave that need to leave and everybody to take a breath, we will have another chat with Jack. Jack is me. I'm Jack, in case you didn't know that, right? We're going to talk about this current series of sermons that we're in about social righteousness, about how God calls us to be just in the world. So if you'd like to continue that conversation and to have a chance to tell me about all the things I've been leaving out of the sermons and all the things I should put into the sermons, but even more so about all the ways that we can encourage and strengthen each other to be just and righteous in our lives, simply hang around. There's no charge. There's no registration. I won't even call on you unless I decide to, so plan to stick around for a while. Friends, God has brought us to this time and place, and that's a wonderful gift. In response to God's gifts, we give our own gifts out of what God has given to us so that His work can continue in the world, not only our financial offerings, but also the offering of ourselves. So the ushers will now come forward and wait upon us as we present our morning offerings to the Lord.
please be seated. We've come and gathered today in worship at God's invitation. And we've said yes, and here we are. And so now, allow yourself the time and the mind to be present to God. Let's take a deep breath and go to God in prayer. God, you are pure thread of truth and holy fabric of peace. And in your sacred resolve, you weave creation into a single braid of brilliant colors. Each strand uniquely made by your divine artist's hand. And individually, God, these strands are vulnerable and fragile and weak. And yet together, they are unbreakable with the strength of holy care and just compassion. And we are intimately entwined and spun as one humanity animated by your creator's breath and the pulse of your will. And because of this, because we are made by one hand, to war with each other is to war with ourselves. To allow others to go hungry is to starve our own souls and to be silent when there is need of one word or a thousand is to taint our solitude with shame. So we ask that you would challenge us, Lord, to itch and squirm in the skin of dissatisfaction and let us not be satisfied until, as the prophet counsels, justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. Do you see progress, dear Savior? Are you encouraged, Jesus? Are we a a community, Lord, that welcomes you? Do you experience our open arms and our generous hearts when we meet you in the unlovable one, the messy one, the unbalanced one, the tragic one? Move us, Lord with a hallowed urgency to meet you in the places that we fear the most, the places where there is suffering and separation, where there is such deep need for a savior, a friend, a voice that will cry out in the Stygian darkness of hopelessness. Remind us that you go before us. You wait in those places, whispering promises to the forsaken, They will come. Those who follow me will come. Compel us, Lord, even as we hesitate and our steps falter. With your help, we will go. And we will bring your love and your compassion and your care, even as you attend to the brokenhearted and the damaged minds and the twisted spirits. We will go because we know that we do not travel alone in the dark. We travel with all of those who have gone before us and with all of those who will come after. We travel with you as our constant companion and you, the light of the world. So what beauty, what pure poetry, this magnificent enterprise, this cosmic endeavor, this primordial plan that we would flourish in goodness and that peace and justice will kiss and thus begins the
the eternal embrace. Here is now, holy weaver of all creation, as we pray the prayer that your son taught us when praying to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
A reading from the 15th chapter of the book of Deuteronomy. If there is any among you in need, a member of your community in any of the towns within the land that the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward your needy neighbor. You should rather open your hand, willingly lending enough to meet the need, whatever it may be. Be careful that you do not entertain a mean thought, thinking the seventh year, the year of remission is near, and therefore view your needy neighbor with hostility and give nothing. Your neighbor might cry to the Lord against you, and you would incur guilt. Give liberally, and be ungrudging when you do so, for on this account the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. Since there will never cease to be some in need on the earth, I therefore command you, open your hand to the poor and needy neighbor in your land. Now reading from the 16th chapter of Deuteronomy. You shall appoint judges and officials throughout your tribes and in all your towns which the Lord your God is giving you, and they shall render just decisions for the people. You must not distort justice. You must not show partiality. You must not accept bribes. For a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of those who are in the right. Justice and only justice you shall pursue so that you may live and occupy the land that the Lord your God is giving you. The word of the Lord. I have some news for you. Perhaps some of you have already heard, but the United Kingdom has a new king. <laughs> Here I thought they got a new king about eight months ago, but apparently they've got a new king, but he looks an awful lot like the old king, so I'm completely and totally confused. That's all there is to it. Of course I'm teasing. How many of you got up at 2 or 3 o'clock Saturday morning to watch the coronation? We've got two here. Am I missing any hands? Okay, the early service beats you by one. There were three at the early service. Who? Oh, do we have three over there? Did somebody else? Okay, so three of you. You're tied. All right, great. That's great. So the folks at the first service fell asleep in the middle of the sermon. I'm just saying, so I'm keeping an eye on you guys. I'm keeping an eye on you guys. <laughs> well, yesterday, many of us, regardless of what time we woke up, probably watched something of the coronation ceremony of Charles III. Even though you might be a dyed-in-the-wool American and not believe in monarchy or any of that stuff, it still is quite an interesting pageant. It's full of meaning, it's full of history. It's a tradition that goes back about a thousand years. And, it, and it's really quite impressive, everything that is done in the coronation, even though uh, we were told that this coronation was much simpler and less lavish and extravagant than the one 70 years ago. I was not here 70 years ago. Did anybody watch the coronation 70 years ago? 
whoa. So I'm going to scrap my notes. Would you, would you just tell us about what it was like 70 years ago? <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, as I was tuned into various television channels watching different replays of the coronation, I also was in the midst of studying and learning from another story, not just a story that began about a thousand years ago, but this story actually goes back 3,250 years, give or take, to that time when the former Hebrew slaves, now freed under the leadership of Moses through the action of God, those slaves now are becoming a nation and they're getting ready to enter the promised homeland. Now, these two events are actually connected to each other. And I'm going to let you think about that for just a moment, and maybe you're already beginning to realize the connection between those two things. If not, I'll try to make it clear. Yesterday, of course, Archbishop Justin Welby, the ostensible leader of the Church of England, administered an oath, if you will, to Charles III, Charles Philip Arthur George of the House of Windsor, if I get it correctly. One of Archbishop Welby's questions to Charles was this. He said, will you, to your power, cause law and justice in mercy to be executed in all your judgments? Now, mind you, the coronation of the king of England always has been accomplished through the authority and power of the Christian church represented by Archbishop Weldy and many, many other clerics of the church, and now including representatives of other faiths. I think that's a good move. But let's go back to that question. I actually was Googling all day long saying, who was that in that outfit, and why did they hand the king that strange-looking thing, and what's the big, tall, furry hats that the soldiers... All that stuff that you have to grow up in England in order to understand. I was Googling all of that, and so I Googled, and I found the bulletin, the order of worship that was used at Westminster Abbey for the service. You can do that. That means I'm a total, total, total worship nerd. <laughs> Absolutely. And there's a few others nodding your heads. Absolutely. It's magnificent. So I went back. I wanted to be sure I got that language straight. Read it again. This is what he said. Will you, this guy that I'm putting the crown on, will you to your power cause law and justice and mercy to be executed in all your judgments? Actually, I think those words are what everything else in a coronation is all about. The big honking crown made of gold and jewels, all that other stuff. Think about what that question asks. Will you, Charles, will you lead the people and serve 
the people of your realm so that they will become and so that they will be just and loving in all their ways. That language is taken directly from the Old Testament prophet Micah. Now hold that in your minds for just a moment. That's why the guy gets to wear the big heavy crown because there's a big heavy responsibility on his shoulders. Let's go back to another story. Let's go back to that older story, the story of Deuteronomy. Let me tell you a little bit more about that story because none of us have had or ever will have the opportunity to watch thousands of hours of footage or see millions of photographs or listen to all kinds of people talking on TV telling us what was going on. I wish we had all that stuff, don't you? I wish there were cameras and recorders and commentators and pundits and cheering crowds there listening in as Moses talks to the people. Now remember your history. The Hebrew people have been held in slavery in Egypt for about 400 years and God comes to Moses and says, I'm going to use you to get them out of there and that happens. And then after they leave Egypt, they wander around in the wilderness for a while and eventually they come to the plains of Moab, modern day Jordan, between Jerusalem and Amman today. They're on the east side of the Jordan River. And while they are there, God tells Moses to assemble all of the people, and through Moses, he's going to tell the people even more about why God has delivered them and why God has chosen them. God has already given them the Ten Commandments, and in a sense, everything that Moses says grows out of those Ten Commandments. We couldn't keep it that simple, though, could we? <laughs> we had to complicate it, and that's okay because there's a lot more to say. Moses is saying to the people right before they cross the Jordan River and go into the land of Canaan, into what we now call the Holy Land, the promised land as their homeland, Moses gives one last speech to the people of God about how they are meant to live how they are meant to be an example to all the other nations so that through the life of Israel, the people will begin to know the true God and understand how it is that we can have, all people can have, the life that God means for us to have. And so, we've read just two little brief snippets out of that larger book of Deuteronomy, out of that larger book that's a collection of five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the law of God. Just a few little snippets that give us a glimpse into what God means for us, what God has designed for us. If there is among you anyone in need a member of your community in any of your towns within the land that the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward your needy neighbor. You should rather open your hand, willingly lending enough to meet the need, whatever it may be. 
And then further, you shall appoint judges and officials throughout your tribes in all your towns that the Lord your God is giving you, and they shall render just decisions for the people. And then justice, and only justice you shall pursue so that you may live and occupy the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now that's just a tiny little glimpse into an entire system of belief and philosophy and theology and social organization theory. But it's enough of a glimpse for us to see what God, the designer of everything, designed into creation and into us. And fundamentally, I think it boils down to two things. Now, I know some of you will want to discuss that with me later, and that's great. But I think it's really just about two things. Number one, treat everyone equally. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all people are created equal. That's a theological statement. Number one, treat everyone equally. And then, number two, Take care of everyone. Take care of everyone. When the young lawyer came to Jesus and tried to test Jesus, to remember what Jesus said? The lawyer said, how do I fulfill the law? What else do I have to do? You remember what Jesus said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. There it is. We are all equal children in the eyes of God, whether or not we wear the big crowns or not. Now, we are in the middle of a series of messages in this congregation about how Christians believe that God leads us towards something we call social righteousness. Social righteousness. That's not just for Christians. Here it is in the Old Testament. For our cousins, you might even say brothers and sisters in faith. We call it righteousness sometimes. We call it justice sometimes. And later on in this series, we'll talk about the shades of meaning involved in those two words. But essentially, it's the same thing. We've already talked about the fact that Jesus, in his ministry lifted up one of the primary emphases of that ministry, which was teaching and embodying a righteous life, a life that treated everyone exactly the same, regardless of their status or situation, a life that that reached out and cared for everyone. That's righteousness and that's justice. So we talked last week about the early church, who had listened to Jesus, who had watched Jesus, and now who tried to live out in their lives the way that Jesus lived. We noted how from the very beginning, the church reached out to take care of folks like orphans and widows and foreigners among them. Well, today I want us to remember that the roots from which Jesus sprang, the roots from which the church grew were in God the Father and the people of Israel. 
Oftentimes I will speak about the Judeo-Christian tradition because we Christians must never forget that we are the continuation of something that God began a long time ago. And what God began a long time ago was not just about Jews and Christians, it was about everybody. God means to redeem his whole creation. No one is excluded from that. We are called to be the example, to be the test case, (laughs) to be the folks who go forward and lead everyone else in learning how to live the life of righteousness and justice. And you would think, you would think that we'd be doing better by now. In some ways, we are doing better than we've ever done before. In other ways, perhaps not. That's for another conversation. But let's, for just a few moments, observe a few things about the righteous society toward which God calls us and which God's people have been trying to live out from the very, very beginning. Number one, living a righteous, just life is not only about making sure that everyone goes to church all the time. How many of you grew up in families that said the way to be a good Christian is to go to church every Sunday morning? I grew up in that kind of a family, and I'm very thankful that I did, because it's as I listened to the preacher that I began to learn some of the things that I preach on to you. Yes, going to church is part of it, but it's not the only thing. It's also about doing church all the time in daily life. An awful lot of what Moses shared with the people before they began to create the community that eventually would be called Israel, a lot of what he had to share with them was about how they should worship correctly so that they would learn life correctly, so that they would live life correctly. You take it all or you take none of it. Here's another observation, and these might seem to be random to you, and perhaps they are, but here's another observation that comes from out of the text that we read this morning, and that is that where justice and righteousness and love and mercy are not happening in a society, then eventually that society falls apart. It's right there in Deuteronomy. Notice, God says, on this account... On account of the fact that you will be generous with those who are in need, on account of this fact, the Lord your God will bless you. And then later on when God says, appoint leaders who will help keep you in the paths of justice and righteousness, God says, do that so that you may live. What happens if we don't? My study of history says that whenever a society doesn't take care of its people, and its people means all the people, whenever a society does not do that, eventually that society falls apart. The source of unrest and rebellion and war and the disintegration of human society is when the human beings within it do not act in the way that God made human beings to live. We can tolerate a lot of problems, a lot of trouble, but we can tolerate only so much. 
A fourth observation, and that is that God has given us the gift of leaders. I know that we love to hate politicians, don't we? But God gave us leaders. God said through Moses to the people of Israel, you shall, not you might or you can, but you shall appoint judges and officials. That's everybody. That's everybody all the way from Moses to Charles III to our presidents, all the way down to the lowest official possible. And with all apologies and respects, if there is anyone here, but what do we call the lowest job in society these days? The dog catcher. Anybody here ever been elected the dog catcher? We have a dog trainer. Anybody here a dog catcher? Okay, there we go. (laughs) Right? All of those folks whom we elect or who are given to us by birthright in monarchies, whatever, their job is to make sure that we're all doing our job. The problem is that no matter how good our laws are, no matter how good our leaders are or not, that's not enough. There's one more thing that has to happen. And again, it's in those words from Deuteronomy. Moses says to the people of God, when you enter this land that I have given you, do not be hard-hearted. You see, the only way a society survives, the only way an individual survives, the only way the world ends up being like God wants it to be is when our hearts are changed. You cannot legislate morality, we always say. You cannot legislate ethics. You can go so far, but it doesn't go all the way. The only way for people to treat each other justly, righteously, mercifully, lovingly is when our hearts have been melted and reshaped into the form of the heart of God that we see in Jesus. That's why we come to this table. Constantly, consistently, faithfully. Because in this table, as we break bread, as we share wine, we remember that God's heart broke. He broke it himself for our sakes so that our hearts could be shaped and molded into the kind of person Jesus was. There are many levels of meaning to this meal that we share, but that's one of them. When we come to this table and partake of the body and blood of Christ, we say that we need to be nourished, strengthened, educated, informed by Him and then go out to serve him as he served us. And so now ministering in his name, I invite everyone to come who so wills. I invite everyone to come and share this feast together. We shall share through the ancient process of intinction. 
just to make sure that everybody's included in the celebration of this meal, you will be invited by an usher to come down the aisle closest to you to take a piece of bread, to dip it into the cup, and then to return to your seat by the outer aisle. The elements of this communion have been stripped of anything that might harm you. I personally delivered them from all their demons earlier today. <laughs> because we want everyone to partake. So come, enjoy the gifts of God for the people of God. On the very night that Jesus was betrayed, as he sat at table with his disciples surrounding him, he blessed the bread and broke it and said these words, this is my body broken for you. Whenever you eat this, remember me. And then in the same way, Jesus took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the sign of the new covenant sealed in my blood. Whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the saving death of the Lord Jesus Christ until he comes again. Come, let us celebrate. Please join me in prayer. God, in your graciousness and your kindness, you have laid a table and created a space for every person to sit at table with you. You have given us so much abundance that this is a feast, a feast of bread and wine, a feast of food that will nourish us for all eternity, and we're grateful for that. Lord, we are grateful that we don't have to come to this table to be with you, but that we're welcome, but that when we leave this place, you go with us. You inhabit our hearts and our lives, and your Holy Spirit dwells within to guide us, to love us, to prompt us, to remind us, and to give us courage. We thank you for all of this, for all of your great kindness and love and your wonderful plans for us. And we pray all of these things in your name. Amen.
We can talk till the cows come home, as mom used to say about the monarchy in the United Kingdom. We can talk about the royal family. We can talk about all the problems that happen when you have kings. We can talk about all kinds of things, but here's something that I want to talk about. For the coronation, 20% of the people who were invited to come to sit there in the church, 20% of those folks were not the folks that you would expect to be there. I know you're shocked that I didn't get invited. I was too. Charles said, let's take 20% of that congregation and invite the common people. In my theology, we're all common people. But let's take 20% of the common people, people who have served other people by starting food banks or helping care for the homeless or working in any of a thousand different ways to bring a little bit more righteousness into the world. I want to focus on the positive of that and then I want to ask a question. Aren't a hundred percent of us supposed to be doing God's work in the world? May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you this day and forever. Let God's people say together, Amen. Amen. Amen.